Iowa everywhere. This episode is brought to you by ABC. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. Andy finally becomes captain, and she's going to give it her all to be the best leader this station has ever seen. Will she succeed? Get ready for fiery new romances and high adrenaline rescues. Watch the Station 19 season premiere tonight at a new time, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. We recommend listening to the CW Pod with a glass of Steeple Ridge bourbon. Mm. Grown, distilled, well-rested, and bottled in Erling, Iowa. Now, from the Channel Seed Studios, this is the CW Pod, fueled by Steeple Ridge. Pod this week, and one that I'm really, really excited about. Uh, dear friend of mine, I almost said old friend of mine. I, Old because we go way back, not because yeah. of your age, Ray. You you know that, right? How are you doing, my friend? I am much older than you, <laughs> and I resemble that remark. <laughs> my buddy Ray Cole is in. Uh, we used to have some really popular segments back in the Cakes and O show where we talk sports media, and I want to do this more often now that we've got CW Pod going, and we'll bring Ray in for his expertise. First of all, I want to thank our great sponsor, Steeple Ridge Bourbon. It's amazing how many tweets I'm getting from you guys who are at liquor stores and Fairway and you're looking for Steeple Ridge. This is the good stuff right here. I was just telling Ray about it off the air that um, about how everything that Pat and his family does, everything from early in Iowa, from their farm, from the water to the grains to everything. So support a great local company. Ray, for being on the CW pod here in person, I'm going to give him one of our Iowa Everywhere commemorative bottles. Congratulations, Ray. Thank you. I know that's got to be, oh, you're, you're a Hall of Famer. You've done all this stuff. This has got to be right up yeah, there. Yeah, man, it's far. like winning the lottery. Thank you. <laughs> how are you? It's been a while. Uh, how are you enjoying life right now? I'm doing good. I've uh, gotten off the day-to-day merry-go-round of broadcast television as of last October 1st. Good for but, you. Uh, but I stay involved. I'm involved on uh, about a half dozen boards, uh, some for-profit companies and uh, a couple of nonprofits, including... Uh, the V Foundation, where uh, uh, I've, I've been involved since that great organization was founded by Jim Valvano at the very first ESPYs in 1993, and uh, really proud to be involved with the work they do trying to find that cure for cancer. You guys have done a good job with that, too. That's one of the, for a sports fan, Yeah, it's just, it's been around and so long, and it's been so consistent about the branding and the the marketing that goes behind it. Like, you know, every November that's coming around, and it's really special. And then, you know, Stuart Scott's legacy with that. And yeah, it's crazy how Valvano is just, his name is notorious now of all the good things that have, that have come from his unfortunate death. Yeah. And, and Dick Vitale is probably oh, yeah, most course. responsible for uh, um, honoring the legacy of uh, his friend, Jim Valvano. And 
I had the opportunity of attending the V Classic at Madison Square Garden in December. And when you see, I saw that. Yeah. When you see that arena, uh, probably the world's greatest sports arena, filled with the fans from four teams, um, all all around a desire to raise money for the V Foundation is pretty cool. Um, and it's just a great organization. Every dollar that we raise goes to cancer research because all of the administrative and bureaucratic costs uh, every foundation has uh, is offset by um, funds that were raised separately and the, and the interest and earnings that are generated from that fund. So when you give a dollar to the V Foundation, you can be assured that all 100 cents of that dollar uh, goes towards life-saving cancer So research. rare. Yeah, very rare. I've, I've gotten into, I'm on a board for a local charity too, and it's, when you look into that, I'm not trying to say that charities are bad, don't get me wrong, but there's a lot of them where 70, 80% is going to pay salaries and executives and stuff. And when you find a one like you're talking about, I, I, those are the ones that I really like to give to. Yeah, Charity Navigator uh, is the best, uh, I think. Oh, I've never uh, heard of that. Charity Navigator rates uh, most charities uh, on how much money actually goes towards the cause. And uh, so your listeners might want to check. That's good that to know. Out. So, yeah. Well, we have a lot to talk about uh, since we've done one of these. There's been so much that's happened. Ray and I have been for those. Many of you are listening and watching on our YouTube feed. Uh, many of you have listened to Ray and I do these sports business conversations in the past. And we it, it was fun during the cakes and all years because we kind of chronicled all this changing landscape as it goes. What I like about conversing with Ray is because Ray grew up in this business in the absolute, you know, the peak of the mountain for legacy media. Yeah. Heyday. Yes. I mean, it, when, when everything was rolling, I come in and I start doing the Cyclone Fanatic stuff and I never have really worked full time for a legacy media company because I jumped right into internet which was scout.com i worked for rivals for a while then we went independent with cyclone fanatic now of course iowa everywhere of course i did work for kxno and iheart for a while but that was a side thing to to my day jobs so we see things differently but we always kind of meet in the middle and and kind of i think we can give a pretty good perspective on where we think things are going yeah i mean i started at a traditional television station in 1976 there were only three network affiliates at that time before Fox it was before cable television, certainly before satellite television. And to your point, Chris, we have talked over the years, the, not only the, 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 the change, but the acceleration of that change uh, driven by technologies, uh, new technologies is enormous. Knowing we were going to get together again, I, I looked up something that I'd seen recently and this is actually courtesy of my friend, Dan Houston at the Principal Financial Group, who's an Iowa State grad. Mass adoption is defined as reaching 25% of the market, 25% market access, okay. right? So thinking of you, I went back and looked at the mass adoption rate for radio. It took radio 38 years to hit 25%. It took television 22 years. Mm. It took the internet seven years. Wow. It took the iPhone 2.75 years. Incredible. It took Facebook two years. I have grandkids. 
it took Pokemon Go <laughs> 19 days. Oh my gosh. To hit the mass adoption rate of 25% of the market. That is staggering. Think about that. That is staggering. It just moves so fast. Yeah. And yeah, it, and I don't know if it's a good thing. Like here, I like to think, Ray, that I'm, I'm one of the quote unquote new school guys, but I have deep respect for the old school and I see a ton of benefits. I, we've had a situation covering Iowa state the last week where we could have used a lot more of the old school as far as reporting goes. And, you know, just to be able to give your opinion. I mean, I have this problem and it's something that I've had to work on intently. I mean, I've seen therapists over this over the years. It's crazy. But when I have a responsibility, when there's tens of thousands of people who are looking for your opinion on something immediately, you can be an idiot. And there's, there's this responsibility that comes with not being an idiot and not being irresponsible. And I've been an idiot many times in my life, but it's terrifying too, because anybody can do that and it gets retweeted by the right person. So, and then bam, so you could do you're something beating around the bush. That, that's not like you. We're, we're going to talk about Jerome Tang and Kansas state <laughs> and what happened last week. Ray's bringing it. Because I, I am old school like you. Yeah. And I'm older. If you're old school, I'm older school. And I watched that and I watched it from the game uh, uh, broadcast and what we saw on television last week uh, when he was upset and he walked down to TJ and the referee pushed him back into his box. Uh, and then we watched on the handshake line what happened. And he had a little sense that there were some things going on with fans, especially when he was teed up and all of that. And then to see what developed over the next couple of days, okay? It's not old school. It is only right that if you're going to have a story out there that makes a conclusion, that it have attribution, that it have more than one source. Mm -hmm. And what happened there last week, Chris, was pretty disappointing because um, that story reached a, a, a very very unfair critical mass in a very short period of time. And I put out, a, I'm not bashful. I put out a opinion on social media that said either coach Tang or um, the AD at K state needs to uh, either issue a clarification mm -hmm. with, which has some evidence behind it, or they need to issue an apology, but for them to hide behind the faceless reporting that contributed to a horribly unfair, and I give credit to CBS during their broadcast of the CB of the Kansas State game on CB Kansas game yeah, on yeah. CBS on Saturday, Saturday yep. to to not only address it but to address it in the way they did, and they addressed it probably more forcefully from the studio show than they did mm -hmm. on site in Ames uh, on Saturday uh, when they said uh, against the environment of the spying scandal at Michigan, you are attacking not only TJ, but the program and the university's integrity. And that is horribly unfair the way it was done. And the part that maybe even bothered me the most is all of this happened right in front of me. So my seat is right in front of the opposing team's bench. I sit with the opposing team's meeting. So you were the guy they were cursing at? <laughs> huh? No, but I saw that. <laughs> so I sit next to the managers that got cursed at, and that was my report because I saw it. Like it... I have all these Kansas State fans be like, oh, you're 
who's your source? I'm like, I am the source. I watched it. Like, you, you I, can choose I, to call me a liar. I but would, I, I would retract much of what I said if I knew they were cursing at you. But since that wasn't the <laughs> they, case, they I were, would hold my ground. He was cursing at these two student managers that are like sophomores in college, unpaid. Like it was very, it was so inappropriate. Yeah. But the the I think the biggest problem I have with it is in 2024, man. There was one reporter that threw out something that fans were throwing things at the Kansas State bench. That never happened. It didn't happen. And then there was another one that insinuated that racial slurs were being thrown toward. That didn't happen. Kansas State said it themselves. And it's like, that's really damning stuff because, as you know well as I do, some of this stuff in 2024, once it sticks to you, you can't yeah, get it well, off. Well, stick is the right word because much of the – I'm putting reporting in quotes. Much of the reporting that followed that game last week was – the equivalent of throwing mud on the wall to see what stuck. Mm -hmm. And by, by Saturday uh, in the time of the broadcast of the Kansas game, there was nothing on the wall. You're right. And that's where coach Tang or his AD needed to step forward and say, we need to correct the record. And I still hope against hope that that happens. Let's start with the streaming move with the playoffs and the football. Yeah. And I, this was fascinating to me. I want to talk a little bit about uh, WWE and Netflix and what we think that might mean for the for the future of just sports. And I know it's not a real sport, but it's still a sports property as far as these these inst these entities go. I want to talk about your induction to the Broadcasting and Cable Hall of Fame, and then also ESPN's new media rights deal with the NCAA. I, I have an opinion on this. Uh, and we'll, we'll get to all that, but what, let's start with the chiefs dolphins being on Peacock. Okay. So here's my theory. You tell me if I'm right. Was that this was a deal where it almost felt like the NFL as much. As, so of course, NBC wanted to have it on Peacock to gain subscribers. That's a business move on there. And it did. It was historic as far as how many subscribers they picked the up. The most streamed event in the history of streaming television, about 23 million viewers. Incredible. Yeah. Boy, it's the, a big, the, it, was a, it was whatever you think of the decision, it was a very successful experiment. And it's very simplistic to say, yeah, they, you know, the NFL did it, you know, because Peacock paid them a lot of money and they wanted it to drive subscriptions. That's easy to say, but there, it goes deeper than that, Chris. The NFL of all the leagues, I believe is the shrewdest when it comes to identifying trends and being ahead of the curve. And, and they know that younger viewers have adopted streaming uh, as their primary source for video, right? Yeah, okay? absolutely. So they wanted to see what would happen. And it's against the backdrop of a factoid that's important. If you look at, if you stand back and you look at the season uh, and the streaming numbers on uh, Thursday night with Amazon. And then if you factor in that playoff game between Kansas City and Miami, the median age for the audience that watched those games via streaming was eight years younger than the traditional wow. okay. broadcast or cable network viewership. Eight years. That's significant. So the NFL knows what it's doing. Most people saw it as a money grab. Yeah, and I get that. The money though wasn't that big. It was like 180 million for that game or 
Well, like, well, that's pretty big to me, Chris. I mean, not for the NFL. I, I guess. What is what does Amazon pay? Like a billion for those Thursday yeah, games? But, this is a playoff game. Yeah. And, and it was the most visible playoff game of the weekend that they chose to yeah, put on. Yeah, they I think that's where the NFL may have been justifiably criticized the most because that 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 Dolphins on paper going into the playoffs, that Dolphins Chiefs game looked like it was gonna be the best game, and it was a good game. Would that have hit 30 on NBC? Oh, I think it would have probably hit easily over 30 million yeah. if it would have been on a broadcast network. So my theory on it was that the NFL is giving up a little bit of money right now to they're, – they're still training us and they're training the rights bidders and showing them, look, you can still pull these numbers on a stream. and But if you don't have the – Right. If you don't if you don't have the examples, how do you go to the negotiation table? Now they can say to, you know, if it's ESPN that's going, you know, direct the consumer or they can look, you can still pull this number. The the, the audience is there. That was how I read it. Yeah. It, it, it's interesting to note, you know, the NFL moved preemptively to renew all their deals last year. And so yep. they now go out to, I believe, 2032 and they've already committed that they will not put the Super Bowl behind a paywall like they did that game in Kansas City mm-hmm. uh, through at least the end of the current rights deal. So you may see doubling up, uh, for example, the the game, uh, you know, two weeks down the road here, the game in Las Vegas will be on CBS uh, and it'll be available on Paramount Plus, uh, Paramount Plus uh, in a couple of years. I'm really happy because um, I, had, I was a guest of ESPN at the last – Super Bowl to be produced and aired on ABC. It was in 2007 in Detroit, and and uh, six or seven, I can't remember, but but uh, that was the that was notable for two reasons. Number one, it was the first game where all elements, production elements of the game, were produced in HD. Think about that; it's mm. not that long ago. It was produced in HD, and it was notable because it was the last game to be presented on ABC. Um, and with all the money that ESPN has put up since then. Uh, they weren't eligible to be in the rotation for the Super Bowl because they wanted it to have a broadcast audience. And so just like CBS and Paramount Plus will have uh, the game in two weeks, uh, when C- when ABC comes into the rotation, it'll be simulcast on ESPN. I guarantee you when NBC gets their next one, it'll be simulcast on Peacock. Yeah, and for I, sure. I think you're going to see a combination uh, of of uh, broadcast and uh, pay TV platforms, streaming platforms for quite a while. So we got to the bottom of that. The the one thing I, I keep laughing at, Ray, and I think that you'll get a good kick out of it too, is so many of my friends now with sports, I noticed this especially during Big 12 basketball season. So a, a night like Tuesday night or Wednesday night when there's multiple games going on, and they get so annoyed by having to exit their YouTube TV app or Hulu Live or whatever you want to get into the ESPN app. And now I'm going to go flip it over to ESPN Plus. And they go, man, it'd be really nice to just be able to click back and forth with all these, right? And and you think back, to, well, we had that. Is that is there any sort of consolidation coming in, in that aspect where you think I, I, we can do that? Well, we talked at the outset, we talked about uh, uh, the... the, the, the uh, technological change uh, and and how fast it is, I will be amazed if there's not a TV manufacturer out there, whether it's Samsung or LG or whoever it is, who is not going uh, to develop a very friendly 
a setup via your remote where where now you can flash back previous channel uh you know on a uh, on your regular lineup cable lineup satellite lineup uh, you're going to have to have that available to go from uh from ESPN uh to ESPN plus is a good example of that yeah. with basketball season yeah uh and I'll be amazed if that's not uh something that is out there in the marketplace in the next years so. I want to buy some stock in that whoever uh, I believe, because people that I agree with you that may be the biggest complaint you know the 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 uh, the quality of the production, you know, I think Amazon gets high marks for what they did with the football Thursday night package on the NFL. Um, you know, there was some issues, you know, with, um, you know, audio or video uh, where the production wasn't as clean as a, as a cable or broadcast network production. I think those have been largely addressed, but the one that remains is the one you decided. The, the aspect of this that's interesting for me, and I think we saw it pretty clearly on on Saturday, where CBS brings its A game, right? It's A team. They had more cameras, like what, seven or eight cameras shot, I think yeah. it was what that was. You've got their A compared to an ESPN Plus broadcast. And I, I want to ask you from a guy who's made these types of decisions, the ESPN Plus to me, when I look at it, what they're trying to do is a great challenge because it used to be, how many college basketball games were on in the week? Five, yeah. you know, and then it would be, okay, well, you've got Raycom and we can watch Iowa basketball and they produce it. If you, I'm a huge ESPN plus fan because I, Eric Henderson's my friend at South Dakota state. I've got friends who coach all over the country and I can watch every game on ESPN plus And I love it. And for me, I give up a little bit on production quality because I, I feel grateful to be able to watch all of these games. How, what is the juggling act there as far as that goes? Because there simply aren't enough production people and equipment in the world to do it at an incredibly high level, like you see in an NFL game or when you see a big Monday game on ESPN with Fran Frischilla, right? This is a real challenge, isn't it? Yeah, there's the word that comes to mind is bandwidth, and it's not just the techn technological bandwidth, it's also the personnel there's only so many broadcasters and 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 talent uh bandwidth so you know it's interesting we bought WITV from Iowa State University in 1994 and with that we inherited the old cyclone television network you know uh, yeah, absolutely you know back Gary Thompson we, you know, Gary, Neil Armstrong yeah Neil Armstrong yeah, Tom, yeah Neil Armstrong John yeah. Walters yep uh, well in fact Murphy Keith, was Keith there Mur Keith Murphy and then when he left uh, us to go to cross the street to WHO John Walters stepped into that role and then uh, and then John stepped into the radio uh, role mm -hmm. um, when the when we lost uh, our friend and, and great cyclone broadcaster of all time. So mm -hmm. it's interesting if you look back, we used to produce as part of this, and, and, and we developed a partnership with ESPN Regional Television um, instead of maintaining the old network the Which way they had set it up. ESPN Plus. It is now essentially what is ESPN Plus. Yeah, it just yeah. was all on yeah. these these cable channels. Yeah, right? it was based in Charlotte, North Carolina, not in Bristol, Connecticut. Okay. So, so we had we had great relationships and we had a great network around the state and we would produce 15 to 18 live games a season. That, that was a big deal. And we would produce the coaches' shows and yeah, and so forth. And it was it was unique. And um, it just got to where people expected every game to be available on television. Well, now, to your point, uh, I, I sort of laugh when I see people complaining about the 
the production quality of a, of a, of a game on ESPN plus football or basketball or women's basketball too, for mm-hmm. that matter. Mm-hmm. And yeah, cause you, you're doing that and wrestling and wrestling. You have to stand back at some point and you have to say, you know, I, I think you just said it. Well, you have to be um, objective enough to stand back and say, you know, um, I'll take something that's less than a big four network quality production just to be able to watch the game. No doubt. And and you not you you're not going to get all of your schools or your conferences. I, I mean, Jamie was very positive coming off the uh, the um, uh, meeting that the conference had a few years ago, where they announced their deal with ESPN Plus. You know, and the number of events that are now presented on that streaming platform. It's in the thousands. It's uh, crazy. And and every the, night, the, the 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 scope of what is undertaken to do that uh, is pretty amazing. First, the bad news: SAP Business AI won't help you generate Cubist versions of your family's holiday photos, but it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia, or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks and automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations so you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology, real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Is it is this simply a deal? Give me your crystal ball. Like in in ten years, fifteen years, fifteen is probably a little more fair. When when Iowa State has a women's basketball game on, or a non conference men's game, or wrestling, will these same with Iowa. I mean, we don't really know because the Big Ten Network is a thing now, but what is that going to – are these institutions all going to need to have their own productions, companies like Cyclones TV was? Or do you think that this will be farmed out more by yeah. the – like will ESPN and Fox be making these moves? Yeah. Because I, I, bandwidth's a good word. I just don't know how much they have. Yeah, I think in the, in, the, in the Power Five conferences, I think what you'll see is a, is a continuation – uh, and an expansion of the existing um, approach. I don't think you'll. I don't think you'll see them go back uh, to where the schools are doing it on their own. And I think what's going to help drive that. You you teased it earlier. The new deal that was just announced uh, uh, between the NCAA and ESPN, which essentially covered everything except the NCAA men's tournament. You know, it. You know, all of those other championship events. Uh, the depth of that agreement is amazing. And I think that that the, the 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 rights, you know, that that New Deal was eight years, nine hundred twenty million dollars. Uh, it, it's almost a tripling of what was being paid previously for the rights to those events. Now, ESPN also gained the rights to broadcast more events, so the dollars went up, but so did the number of properties. Uh, that they'll have access to. Uh, I think that ESPN got a good deal of wrapping up women's basketball for that long because that's one of the fastest growing sports, I think, in the country. I want to share a personal anecdote about that. So 
We sold our last ABC stations in Providence, Rhode Island, and Lincoln, Nebraska in 2019. I attended my last ABC Board of Governors meeting. I, I was, we've talked over the years, I served on that board for 15 years and I was chairman for three years and, and I was the liaison from that board to ESPN for all of the ESPN on ABC properties. Um, and so gave me more access um, and opportunity to develop more relationships at ESPN than I otherwise probably could have. So I'm at my last board meeting because I don't have a seat at the table anymore because we no longer have any ABC stations. So it was December of 2019. And the way those meetings work, you have entertainment come in and they do their presentation and news comes in and does their presentation. And you have some engineering and broadcast, uh, what we call B-O-N-E, broadcast operations and engineering stuff. But because ESPN was essentially our in-house sports unit, ESPN would always come in last. And they did their presentation at, at that December 2019 meeting. And at the end, they said, is there any other questions? And I said, yes. And I, I posed a question to my good friend, Burke Magnus, who's now the number two person at ESPN. He's a big deal. He's a big deal. Burke's a good guy, too. And I said, Burke, I said, I have one question. I said, when are we going to stop treating the NCAA women's basketball tournament as a redheaded stepchild? Mm -hmm. Silence in the room. I don't think anybody else agreed with my assessment, but Burke responded in the affirmative. He said, Ray, we are looking at that and we think we can and should do more as we see women's athletics in general uh, uptrending and we see the women's basketball tournament in particular uh, as we, we think will become a very hot ticket. I don't know the numbers off the top of my head, but I would guess just in pure growth of viewership, if if ESPN could give us the numbers, volleyball and softball, softball. NCAA tournaments have yeah. skyrocketed, even more so than women's basketball would be my guess. Yeah. Now, you're starting from a lower mark. Right. You know, you're not demanding the same number as Caitlin Clark versus Angel Reese in the yeah. championship game, but those are growth sports. Yes, they are. You're looking for these little pockets where – we're the worldwide leader in sports. We need to have these things. And I I really do. When I was reviewing that deal, my number one thing was, I think Disney got a great deal on the women's college basketball tournament because I think that thing is going to continue to blow up. So let me, so let me, uh, I brought it with me here. Uh, th that agreement, as I said earlier, I think the, the, uh, the, 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 on an annualized basis, it's like triple what would ESPN yep. it was being paid before, but, but it, that includes, includes wrestling. That includes it. It, it includes uh, all the marquee events, uh, yep. which would be women's basketball, softball, volleyball, gymnastics, baseball, FCS football, and more. But it also adds coverage of the uh, division one men's and women's uh, women's tennis championships, men's gymnastics. Uh, it also gives them the rights to the uh, men's uh, NIT and the women's uh, basketball equivalent, the, the WBIT. Mm -hmm. So they're getting a lot there. But but I'm going to go back now, and at the late Paul Harvey would say the rest of the story about that meeting in December of 2019. So Burke responded. To Hold me. on. The rest of the story. Thank you. There you go. So, so Burke responded <laughs> to me, as I said, in a fairly positive way um, about uh, – what might happen with the NCAA women's basketball tournament. So now you fast forward and he reaches out to me um, a short time later to say, Ray, uh, we've run the traps on this. 
and we think we have it, uh, we, we have it nailed down, we're going to present every women's basketball tournament game on one of the ESPN platforms, ESPN, ESPN2, ESPNU, ABC maybe, so forth. And we're going to do that. And starting, awesome. starting with the 2020 tournament. And I'm going, wow, my, my meeting was December of 19. And so now we fast forward. We're talking March Madness on the women's side. Mm-hmm. Women's basketball didn't get to use the name March Madness, Madness back then. But, but uh, for the women's tournament that March. And then we had this thing called the pandemic hit. And yeah. it took out the tournament. Mm-hmm. So it didn't really happen until the 2021 tournament. Yep where they were all there. And if you look at what happened in 2021 and then the growth to 2022 to 2023, and obviously 2023 driven by Caitlin Clark. No doubt. And the women's uh, Iowa women's appearance in the final four and an audience of 10 million. And it outdid some of the big sporting events uh, that spring in terms of audience. Uh, And I think, uh, and if you look at how many games, you know, how many women's games has Fox put on, with Gus calling the game, and uh, there's one again this week with Pe- Iowa. Peacock Maryland. is utilizing them as yeah, well to Peacock, gain subscribers. All of them. Yeah, and, and Fox I, has uh, UConn and somebody this week. They're going to get Paige Buchers and doing that. The same deal that they yeah. did with Iowa. It's going to be their primetime game. I think that was last weekend. Oh, that was last that weekend. Was last Notre Dame. Okay, thank yeah, you. I appreciate that. Yeah, this weekend, I think Fox has Iowa and Maryland. Oh, okay. Right? Okay, I, I had missed that. Thank with, you, Aiden. Appreciate that. With a former Iowa uh, young lady as their head coach at Maryland, should be a yeah. fun game. Fun game. I, I I truly believe that Caitlin and she's she's not alone in this. But I I've spoken with her about it, and she completely agreed. My my read on it all along was that you know guys my age, I'm almost forty. We grew up watching Michael Jordan and Shaquille O'Neal, and I couldn't act like those guys on the playground. You know. I'm, I, I can't dunk. I can't I can't dunk from the free throw line. I, but you know what? Little girls and little boys now, they can act like Steph Curry. Mm-hmm. They can work on their range. And you're, you watch a women's game, it doesn't matter what the conference is. I like to watch the Summit League. I know a lot of people in the Summit League, a lot of friends of mine in that league. It's incredible women's college basketball. And I, I credit Steph for starting that. And I think the amount of little boys, too, and girls who are watching Caitlin now and they watch the NBA, the women's game, I think it's just scratching the surface. So like people go, well, why don't people watch the WNBA? Cause it doesn't pull the numbers that women's college basketball is. I think the WNBA is still a generation older where it's not as stylistically fun as what the women's college game is doing, but it's going to get there. And now you have these stars, Ray, Angel Reese and Caitlin Clark. They are bigger stars than any men any man playing in men's college basketball and they're, they're influencers. And to me, when I, when I was reading through it again, I just, I thought ESPN was really smart to lock that down the way that they did. That might be their next formula one property where you buy it for a million dollars and then it's worth whatever it was. I I was glad to see um, again, when I was on the ABC board, ESPN and ABC made a tremendous commitment to carry the world cup. Oh yeah. When nobody really was following. Yeah. They bought low South Africa. We went in and they, uh, John Skipper was the head of ESPN at the time. And he insisted that they were going to, uh, give that event the same kind of, of a push that the Olympics receives. 
and it did an incredible number. I remember that. And then, and then without even going back to ESPN, they pulled the rug out and they awarded the renewal uh, on the renewal. They awarded the rights to Fox, um, which later there was some questions about whether the you know charges were leveled about under the table payments mm-hmm. and to a couple of Fox executives and from them to people, you know, FIFA is not exactly the cleanest <laughs> organization to put it mildly, but the bottom <laughs> line is uh, to, you know, I've seen it too often. It's what have you done for me, for me lately when it comes to uh, uh, big time sports and the rights that go with those. I was really pleased to see ESPN negotiate the new deal as we said, it's a big one, eight years, $920 million. But nobody has shown the commitment to women's athletics that ESPN has. And a lot of people, you know, there's they have their detractors and they don't like this and that about ESPN. But the one thing they deserve credit for is the commitment that they've made for five, six years now uh, to, to raise the profile of women's athletics. And, of course, agree. nothing um, – has stood out more in that regard than the NCAA women's basketball tournament. I think it's terrific. Yeah, and they've I I would credit the NCAA, which is hard to do sometimes, but I think they've done a real they've done a lot of smart things with that too, like the host sites and just that's a great tournament. I wish that somehow we could get it so the games aren't overlapping and stuff. Yeah. Cause I, I think that but I, I don't know. How do you do that fairly? How do you do it? I I, I don't have an answer to that. There's I, a lot I, smarter people. But I, I think there has to be a way. I think that, again, I talked about what ESPN did starting in 2021, getting all of the women's tournament games on, on television where you can watch them. But if you remember, last year was the first year that the championship game aired on ABC. Yes. So that they have been doing this uh, you know, in a somewhat incremental way basis uh, where they keep raising the bar and I'm hoping that the next bar gets raised in a way where there is more sensitivity to the scheduling. You're not doing, you know, there there were, you know, the women's game was played on Sunday between the final four on Sat men's final four on Saturday and Monday. But you know what else? It was a Sunday afternoon. Uh, I talked to Burke about that. uh, And, and he said, um, you know, we really wanted to put it in prime time, but there were issues of all things with American Idol and its premiere, and they didn't want to push uh, 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 Idol back another week. And I, there were reasons for it. But the bottom line is um, the NCAA Women's Basketball Championship deserves, deserves to be on a broadcast network in prime time. That will be the next step, I hope. Do you think... Give me okay, Ray's crystal ball. Maybe this could be like a new segment on the CW pod. It looks to me as an outsider, and I'm just looking at numbers. Okay. That everything's drawing now, by the way, right? Like, so live sports is we knew it was king 10 years ago. It has absolutely stepped its foot on the gas, and there's no doubt about it now. There is there was no bubble that we thought there might be 10 years ago. We've seen that with these astronomical rights fees and how they keep going up. Do you? What do you think about leagues like? So another thing with ESPN that they've always done is, hey, where am I going to watch the MAC game or the Conference USA or in this case the Big Twelve? Now it's not the SEC or the Big Ten. What looks to me is like the rich keep getting richer, and I mean the NFL. It looks like the NBA, whatever they end up doing, I think they're going to do some streaming probably. 
looks like Amazon's in the mix there. We'll see how that rights deal ends up going. The Big Ten, the SEC, those things keep getting bigger and bigger. Do you think ESPN will continue its commitment to the the smaller packages? And what I mean, that Conference USA, the Sun Belt, you know, do yeah. you where are these things going to be in fifteen years? Well, you you used the word bubble a little while ago. I'm going to start. I'm going to answer your 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 multifaceted question this way. I believe that there is for the first time uh, a bubble. Uh, that could burst uh, in this, in the uh, media rights marketplace. Um, I think the networks uh, and the cable companies used to sort of manufacture a bubble mm-hmm. uh, as a bargaining tool, uh, ploy, if you will. Uh, but I think now it's real. And I think probably the, the best um, barometer of that is going to be the NBA rights. Both, as you know, the NBA right now, most of those rights are held by Disney, ESPN, ABC, and by Warner Brothers Discovery, uh, which is TNT. And yeah, it's the old Turner. Networks. The old Turner, okay? So they they are the incumbents, and it'll be interesting to see what happens with the NBA. The NBA has made it clear that they expect the rights to double. Um I don't see any way in this marketplace that happens. First of all, if you look at the incumbents, Disney, certainly uh, it's no secret, has had significant pressures uh, reflected in their stock price, uh, laying off a lot of employees at ESPN and other uh, divisions within the company. Um, They will have to be very pragmatic in their approach. And then you look at Warner Brothers Discovery, who that merger just happened in the last year. And the last time I checked, resulted in debt of about $50 billion. So they're not going to be a drunken sailor when it comes to the NBA or any other property either. So I think what you'll see is the two incumbents probably work to keep a piece of those packages, and you'll probably see it shared with other players. And you're seeing that right now with NASCAR, for example. Um, They had a difficult negotiation with their incumbents, if I remember, was Fox and NBC. And they spun off the Xfinity uh, 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 series to the CW network, mm-hmm. a new player in sports. And this, and they've got it, ACC football. They're took, doing a bunch of stuff. They did ACC football. Yeah. They picked up a little they uh, live they, golf. Well, live golf. They picked up a little bit of the Pac-12, which is another whole story of that debacle and how, at the end of the day, the media rights is what drove the Pac-12 to into no longer being a, a, a conference. So. And and I sort of point that out because the Pac-12, not too many people know this, Chris. In 2013, the Pac-12 sold their media rights for a huge number. It was, they were throwing off as much money a year as any of the Power Five conferences. And the reason that happened is because ESPN and Fox did not want to let um, NBC get into college football beyond Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. Okay, so they overpaid the mar- what the market probably deserved. Okay, and then the the presidents of the Pac-12 schools, um, you know the old saying, um, "Pigs get well fed, hogs hogs get slaughtered." Yep. Right? The Pac-12 presidents, and they were convinced that they were going to double that rights ag- agreement in terms of the fees paid uh, that they had in 2013. And what happened? It, it completely unraveled. Uh, at the end, they thought they had a deal with Amazon as their savior, and then Amazon walked away 
And that literally was the beginning of the end of the Pac-12 conference. Reminds me a little bit of the MLS too, is they weren't yes. getting the response that they thought and they go, okay, forget this. We're going all in with Apple. They did. It's exactly. Do you think we'll see more of that if a Netflix or an Amazon says, hey, Conference USA, <laughs> which isn't a big number, but do you think that that do you see that so, coming? So I made the list here. So uh, it's interesting. The digital streaming companies essentially are Amazon and Apple and Google, YouTube, same which are the same, Netflix. And they've all taken a very distinctly different approach. Um, I, I went and looked up to, to, to see what each of those streaming companies has done to try to see if I could figure out what, what their mindset is, what their strategy is. So if you look at Amazon, it's very clear what they've decided, their approach, that if they're going to take a package of programming, they want it to, uh, they want it to be one that streams exclusively on a given night, mm -hmm. i.e. Thursday night football with the NFL on Thursdays. Okay. That's been their approach. Um, they want exclusive rights on a, to a property on a given night. Now, if you go to Apple, they want to control everything. If they do it, they want all the rights. They don't want just domestic rights. They want the global rights. And they tried to get Formula One, too, from, they, from they, you guys. They did. Uh, and it, and it is based that I could tell, it looks like they're negotiating the types of deals where leagues and conferences also share in the risk. In other words, they want to give them a piece and they share in the upside, but it also minimizes the risk on the downside. Um, and interesting, I just talked about that Pac-12 deal that they negotiated. Apple would have held all the global rights to that conference, and it would have been at a fraction of what they had been getting under the previous deal. That's why it didn't. That's why it led to the demise of the conference. Yeah, Google, you know, they cut their deal. So what did what did Google do? NFL Sunday Ticket. Yeah, that was their deal, and and they have really not been engaged in any other rights deals. Um, and then Netflix, they're the most curious one because Netflix, you know, they take the calls from all the teams and all the conferences. Um, and yet they've yet to make a big splash of any kind uh, where in a sport or a league where it really matters. So you look at the broadcast networks, they have to approach it differently than they have in the past. And you look at the streaming competitors and they all have, uh, uh, you know, varied strategies and approaches to getting in the game. And that's why I think the bubble's going to burst here in in some way from what it's been in the past. I pulled up the 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 there's a um, an annual report that Sports Business uh, Journal does, uh, and it and it aggregates the total value of sports rights. And in 2023, it was 56 billion dollars. Mm. 56. Now that's globally. Mm -hmm. 56 billion dollars. Okay, that's going to go to 62 billion plus in 2024. And what the driving factor there is, is the Olympics, uh, not just NBC domestically, but around the world. That will push that number up to the highest it's ever been. The total value of sports media rights will be somewhere around 62 to 65 billion dollars. That's a massive number. The most valuable sport globally. What do you think? NFL. Nope. Soccer? Soccer. Premier League? Soccer. Yeah. The most valuable sport is soccer uh, in, of that $56 billion. Isn't that wild, though, living in the United States to we see how big it. the NFL is and to think there's yeah. something actually well, bigger than I'm, that? I'm going to put it in perspective for you. Global, it's crazy. Globally, 
the 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 media rights value of soccer is 19.2 billion. It's the most valuable sport. Now the most valuable property, because you know there's a lot of soccer pieces. Yeah. The most valuable property is the NFL. Soccer does 12.4 billion. Think about that. 19.2 billion for soccer, 12.4 billion for the NFL. But by far the most valuable market, no surprise here in the world, is the United States. So I've been I've been reading a lot on this WWE Netflix thing. And one of the things I, I think I can address your bubble be and I think it's simple economics. If you're Disney and uh the old, I, I always call it Turner, um Time Warner. Warner Brothers Warner. Discovery. It took me forever <laughs> to, to, to come, to Turner come Broadcasting. with that new name, Warner Brothers Discovery. Well, it's simple economics. There's not as many cable subscribers yeah. as there used to be, so you don't have all this cash just coming in. You know, it, there's not all this passive income that you know you're getting every month. Yeah, and, uh, and I'll put a num- I'll put a number on that for you, Chris. That those paid subscriptions you're talking about uh, have gone from about a hundred million to seventy million. Okay, it, it is a very material drop off, and again, that contributes uh, to the economics of what goes into bidding on a sports property, whether it's for uh, a sport like soccer or uh, a property like the NFL. So I was reading about WWE and they're moving it's iconic Monday night raw it's the longest episodic show in the world in history and you can laugh uh, I'm not saying it's the NFL it is scripted we all know all this but it is sports entertainment and it is very valuable and they gave them like a 5 billion dollar deal um, and that includes a lot of international stuff their pay-per-views I, I think they're going to move their WWE network so it's exclusively available on Netflix. There's a lot more to it than just this show. But there are people within WWE who make the point now, Netflix has 280 million some subscribers worldwide, where our basic cable packages don't have anywhere near that. No. It's now shifted to like an entity like WWE thinks it can grow by being on Netflix compared to the Pac-12 thing, which was just this summer for a sports fan, they were terrified of, well, what are we, if we put everything on Apple, nobody's going to see our product anymore. It's fascinating to me how you could look at it completely differently, but is this where we're going? Well, all of the major um, leagues in this country recognized right now that um, they have to maintain uh, a broadcast audience. They have to have their product be available to a mass audience via broadcast television. You, you, you talked about, uh, together we talked earlier about the problem with switching from a traditional uh, programming outlet to a streaming outlet and the difficulty of going back and forth and what a pain in the butt it is, right? So there's another challenge that streaming has, and it has to do with um, the way those are sold. When, when I was running television stations, one of the most common complaints that I would get from viewers is the bundle, the cable bundle. They'd go, oh my gosh, I have to pay for a hundred channels and I only watch uh, the local stations and maybe five other. And we all yelled, networks. we want a la carte. We want a la carte. <laughs> we want a la carte. That's what yeah. they cried for. And you know, the, you know, the, you know, the guy says, you know, I'll, you know, my wife and I, we watch CNN and then I watch ESPN and she watches uh, the History Channel and we only watch six or seven or eight. And, and I actually saw research 
that bared that out, that yeah. the average cable subscriber, in addition to the local stations, only watched on average, on a regular basis, seven and a half uh, networks. So there was some credence to that complaint. Now, fast forward, in a streaming world, you know what I hear people say all the time? Why can't I get a bundle? <laughs> why can't I have Amazon? And why can't I have uh, uh, Netflix and HBO Max and Paramount Plus? And let me pick what I want in a bundle. And it doesn't work that way. They have to, They ha and, and that contributes to the churn where people will sign up for Netflix for some hot series. They'll, they'll take Apple TV for Ted Lasso. And then when the last episode of that season of Ted Lasso is over, they cancel, mm -hmm. you know, and then you have the password stealing and the crackdown and going. So the, the streaming, the streaming services have their own challenges and, 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 and they have some warts that, uh, and blemishes that they've got to uh, address Absolutely. as well. And they're also dependent on internet, which I'm a rural Iowa guy. Now, granted, yeah. so like my my family, for instance, in a small town in southwest Iowa, mom and dad live in town. I've always been able to, well, not always, in the last 10 years, have gotten pretty good internet. They cut the cord during the pandemic like a lot of people did, and they started streaming, and now that's just what they do. And then my sister lives outside of town, and she has three kids. For the longest time, her internet simply couldn't handle it. You know, they had, to, so if you're Netflix, that, I know that's not really what Netflix is thinking about, but it's still a real thing. If you look at a map of our country, a hell of a lot more rural area yeah. than there is city, city life. So that's got to come around too. There's infrastructure when it comes to it. It's just fascinating to me. I'll, I'll never not be fascinated in this. I'm glad that I get to live in this time to kind of watch it all move and be a very small part of it. And we need to do this more often, Ray. Do you have any? Oh, I wanted to congratulate you on your Hall of Fame induction, yeah, too, as well. Uh, so the Broadcasting and Cable Hall of Fame, that happened. When did, when did you get inducted? Last, last year, last, right? Um, May of last year. May of last year. That's pretty awesome. And then yeah. Jim Nance was in your class. Yeah, it was it was fun. Uh, humbling, to be certain, uh, uh, as was noted Um uh, uh, during my introduction by Craig Melvin of the Today Show, uh, there's been only one other uh, Iowa native to be in, in, inducted into the Broadcast Cable Hall of Fame, and it was Johnny Carson. Um, Heard of him. So, so when I say it's humbling, uh, that sort of um, underscores that in a, cool. in a big way. Yeah, and the other members of the class were uh, Jim Nance, as you mentioned, uh, was the not just inducted, but was also uh, recognized with a Lifetime Achievement Award. Um, Soledad O'Brien was in the class. Rachel Ray was in the class. Al Roker, uh, his, his wife works for ABC News. Not everybody knows they're married, but Al Roker and Deborah Roberts, who's now the co-host. Here's something funny. My, David Muir. my eight-year-old wakes up every morning and watches the Today Show. That's something? She thinks that Al Roker is the greatest human being on the planet. Yeah, he's a, <laughs> he's a terrific guy. His wife, uh, uh, Deborah Roberts, uh, is a longtime journalist for ABC News, and she just named to, to co-anchor 2020 with David Muir on Friday night. So it was a fun, fun uh, event. We had lots of friends and my family there. Um, my boss, who just passed away of 40 years, my partner of 40 years passed away, I was just at a celebration of life for him last week in New York. Um, and he was one of my presenters along with George Stephanopoulos. And, uh, 
it was uh, it was great. But uh, you know, Jim Nance uh, was really funny. He from the stage and his acceptance remark, he called me out uh, because I'm five years older than he is, and he wanted to know what the hell was going on that he was getting a lifetime achievement, award, <laughs> uh, which makes him sound old. Um, and I'm not, but, uh, but again, he, he is so good. Small world connection there. Um, his boss is Sean McManus, the president of CBS sports, okay. who's retiring at the end of March. His Super Bowl will be his last big hurrah in Las Vegas a week from Sunday. But, uh, Sean's dad, not everybody knows is the late, great Jim McKay, uh, the iconic sports broadcaster for, uh, for ABC Sports uh, back in the Rune Arledge days. And he was probably most famous for the Munich Olympics where he had to turn from a sports broadcaster to a news broadcaster um, and, and literally provide play-by-play for that horrific event uh, where athletes were killed in the Olympic Village. So, so I knew Jim McKay uh, from my early days at ABC. Um, and then to get to know his son, Sean McManus, has been pretty special. Sean is going to be succeeded by a guy you'll become very familiar with his name, David Burson, B-E-R-S-O-N. David uh, was a longtime executive at ESPN that I had the pleasure to work with. And he was recruited away a few years ago to be Sean's number two at CBS Sports. And Mm. obvious to me now that uh, was with the understanding that he was the heir apparent and he'll be stepping into the, um, that those are big shoes to fill at CBS Sports. And, uh, um, and David's more than up to that. Appreciate your time. Thank you. Let's buddy. do it again soon. Okay. Okay. All right. He is Ray Cole, my my good buddy, and I love doing this. Anybody who's listened to me over the years, you know this is a passion point of mine, and I always learn. Uh, Ray's one of those guys where you just shut your mouth and let him talk, and you you just soak it all in. So he's been our guest today. We'll have another show coming up next week. Two guys named Chris coming up on Thursday morning. Thanks to our great sponsor, Steeple Ridge Bourbon. For Ray Cole, I'm Chris Williams. Have a great rest of your Tuesday, everybody. Iowa everywhere.